Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host, David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week as always. I certainly am. So, funny thing, I was uh, preparing for this podcast and uh, writing the accompanying article that goes along with it. I always write accompanying articles. If you didn't know that, uh, go to mgredge.com if you want to read the article instead of listen or read along or keep it in your bookmarks, whatever. Whatever you prefer to do. It's it's what the people want. But anyway, so as I was preparing, as I was kind of writing the article, discussing how many subscriptions will people pay for and how much money a month are people willing to spend. You know, a lot of uh, digital media companies, or I should say, traditional media companies that are now forced into the digital world are still trying to figure out the best business models. Should they be ad supported? Should they go for subscriptions? What's the best option for them? How can they make the most money? How can they survive in a digital world? So that was what the whole episode was about, how a lot of these companies are parsing through it. And as I was making this episode, it was kind of inspired by uh, New York Magazine last week announcing that they are going to go subscription. They have a $5 a month subscription for their magazine now and a few of their other subsidiaries, I guess you could call it. And so as I'm giving a reason and kind of writing this whole thing about why so many companies are going towards the subscriptions model uh, instead of the ad-supported model and why for most people and most companies, subscription model is better, YouTube came out and announced that they are actually going to shift their focus back to being a fully ad-supported platform and kind of abandon or give up on their original premium content through their YouTube premium service, which is 12 bucks a month. And basically it offers ad for YouTube for regular YouTube videos. And then you also get access to all of their premium shows and movies. And so at first when I heard this, I was like, hmm, that goes against exactly what I was just writing. They're actually saying we don't want the subscription service. We want the ad supported service. But then I got to thinking why that actually makes perfect sense and why it actually fits into my thesis very, very well. What is that thesis? Well, let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. The thesis is simple. Um, It's really just consumers are becoming more willing to pay for online media subscriptions, which answers the question of, Are people willing to pay for this? Yes, clearly we've seen that, and they're becoming more and more willing. But also, if you want to get that money, it's going to be very competitive. But you have to provide tremendously valuable content for your consumers to do so, which is why YouTube switched back to ad-supported, because their premium shows and movies mostly feature YouTube stars, YouTube celebrities, whatever you want to call them, and not very much uh, original content that's super valuable, especially for $12 a month when you consider Netflix is 11 bucks a month and has way more original content. And so I'll get back to YouTube later, but I kind of wanted to go over the the industry as a whole, the media industry as a whole, and talk and answer a few questions because there's a few major questions that people are wondering, especially those on the business side of things. So let's kind of talk about some of these questions. The first one, is there a maximum amount of money people will pay per month, per year, whatever you want to, whichever 
metric you want to go by? I'm going to go with by month because that's the easiest. Um, is there a maximum amount that people will pay for digital subscriptions? The answer is yes. Obviously, you're, you don't have an unlimited budget, but I think that number is likely higher than most people think. So obviously, first of all, there's no one size fits all. You know, that number is going to depend a lot on, first of all, how much, you know, discretionary income does someone have and how much time do they actually spend consuming digital content versus traditional content, etc. But you can kind of get an average. How much are people willing to pay? I think overall, people are going to be willing to pay and the number of people that are willing to pay is going up. I think both of those numbers are going up, but how high can those numbers get? Well, luckily we have one easy comparison to go by, and that is how much were people paying in a purely traditional media world? So let's go back 10, 15 years. How much were people paying? And I'm going to kind of adjust for inflation a little bit here, but roughly, right, if we kind of add things up, it used to be that people subscribe to for video content, either cable or satellite, I'm going to call it video content, but you know, cable or whatever. Um, plus, maybe you throw on an HBO or Showtime subscription, whatever. Let's call it an average of $100 a month. I know that varies a lot, but let's call it an average of 100 bucks a month for cable or satellite, whatever. Because, uh, you know, yes, some people might have the super package and pay 250 a month, and some of you might only be, have been paying 50 a month, whatever. But average, let's say roughly 100 a month. And on top of that, a lot of people used to subscribe to physical newspapers and magazines. Yeah, remember those? Uh, national newspapers like the New York Times or USA Today, those cost about 25 bucks a month, that depended on your frequency and billing schedule. Did you pay six months at a time, year at a time, etc.? So we'll call it 25 bucks a month, plus we'll throw in like a local newspaper for five bucks a month. So let's call it 30 a month on newspapers. And then I'm going to throw in... Because magazines vary a lot and they have a lot of times they have all these like super discounted entry offers. I'm going to say 10 bucks a month on different magazines or maybe just one magazine on average. Again, remember, this is just on average for the general population. So if you add all those numbers up, we get about $140 a month in media subscriptions back 15 years ago before we had digital. And before you leave a comment saying, I was paying way more than that, I know I'm being conservative for the sake of argument. So most people, likely, you yourself, listener, do not pay $140 a month on digital subscriptions. I myself am nowhere close. I added it up because I was curious. I pay about 50 bucks a month. I have Netflix. I have Audible, Spotify, YouTube Premium. I actually do have YouTube Premium, not because I watch any of the shows or movies, just because I like ad-free YouTube and I listen to a lot of like uh, lectures and like keynotes and uh, interviews and stuff and uh, I don't like having and I also like to be able to lock my phone because on the iPhone you cannot lock your phone and listen to a video which is very annoying with premium you can so that's how they got me so I do pay for YouTube premium but anyways uh, Netflix audible Spotify YouTube premium and a couple blogs and uh, magazines but basically I pay about 50 bucks a month that's nowhere near the hundred forty dollars a month in traditional media which means I and probably a lot of you have plenty of room to spend for more subscriptions and the reason I haven't spent more on subscriptions isn't necessarily because I say mm, I'm spending too much. It's just because I haven't necessarily seen anything that I'd be willing to pay for. But if there was some great new subscription service that came out, 
I might consider it if it was the right price. Oh, I'm also not going to count Prime in this case because I do have Prime, Amazon Prime, but I do it for the free shipping, not for the you, the videos. I honestly can't remember the last time I uh, watched one of the shows on Amazon Prime. I'm sure they have good ones, but I just I never watch it. But free shipping, it's, it's perfect. So anyways, for that reason, I think that the amount people spend on average will on digital things will cons will continue to go up for the foreseeable future. I don't think I, I can't say for sure, but I don't think it'll reach quite the $140 or more a month uh spot on average. Like I think it'd be hard for someone to spend like 200 bucks a month on digital subscriptions like they might have used to on like cable packages and newspapers and stuff. I'm not saying it's not possible, you can, but I think it's it's unlikely, but I could definitely see the number doubling. Like I could see me my $50 a month, maybe it goes up to 100 a month uh, over the next few years as more and more digital content subscriptions get created. So there is certainly room for growth in the industry and I think people are certainly willing to pay for it. So that answers that question. Now, the next question, and this is kind of a two-parter, but will people pay more for certain types of mediums or categories of content? So there's kind of two types, two things I'm going to hit on here. So the first thing is videos versus like written articles versus audio. Which can you charge more for? The answer isn't really clear. I mean, video is by far the most expensive to create because it encapsulates video, written, and audio most of the time. You have to write the script, record. Obviously, you have to do good audio and you need a good camera, whatever. You know, writing is the cheapest because you just write. You just need a keyboard and a laptop. And audio, you know, creating a podcast is not too difficult either. So, really, video is the most expensive. And so, because video is the most expensive, can you charge more for it is kind of the question. I don't know. I don't think the answer is really clear. I think yes, but if you look at Netflix, you know, kind of the poster child of video content subscriptions, their subscriptions range from 8 to $14 a month depending on which package you get. That's not very different from media publications who create mostly written content, right? The Economist is about 14 bucks a month with their annual subscription. New York Times, same thing. It's about $15 a month. New York Magazine, like I said, recently ruled out for 5 bucks a month, so that's more on the lower end. But obviously, I think it's a bi-weekly magazine, so you're not getting as much content. It's not a daily news thing. So... It kind of varies, but that 5 to $15 a month range seems to be where most media subscriptions fall, no matter what type of content they're producing. You know, prices vary a lot, and again, it's, it very much is dependent on how much content you're getting, because with Netflix, they have a ton of content, whereas, say, Hulu might not have as much, even though Hulu might have a lot. I'm not sure. I don't have Hulu, but... I'm not 100% sure that you can really charge more for video content even though it's more expensive, which means that companies who have paid subscriptions for written-only content might be much more profitable than those who have to spend on video, which is kind of makes sense if you think about it. You know, Netflix spends billions of dollars on making original content, and they're not super profitable, obviously on purpose because they want to continue making more content and continue to grow but you know that content is very expensive to make especially the quality that they make and so their profit margin on $11 a month is not going to be as high as a company who only does written articles charging $11 a month 
A quick side note here of a company that did decide to charge a lot more for video content um, that I personally experienced was Bloomberg. So Bloomberg, uh, for those of you who don't know, has a $35 a month subscription. What you get for that is you get unlimited Bloomberg articles and then you also get unlimited access to their 24-7 um, business news. If you've never seen Bloomberg TV, it's basically, it's kind of like CNBC. Um, so it's 24-7 business news, international. They, even at night in the US, they have shows in London, all that. So I understand. I understand that that costs a lot of money to run a 24-7 news network. But I'll be honest with you. I don't really care about Bloomberg TV. I don't ever watch it. I mean, it's very rare that I actually watch Bloomberg TV. I only want the articles. So I understand that it's expensive to operate a 24-7 news network, but if I'm not watching it, then I don't care. So if they had a $10 a month news uh, option for only articles, I might pay for that. But for $35 a month and I'm only reading the articles, that's just a ton of money compared to every other media publication out there. And I'm just not quite willing to pay $35 a month for that. So I think we could, and I suspect I'm not the only one who thinks this way, and I think that perhaps we could see companies in the future create several different types of content and offer them in separate packages. So I could subscribe for 20 bucks a month to the Bloomberg TV package or 10 bucks a month to the articles only package, something like that. I'm not sure. But I think in this case, you know, Bloomberg, some money is better than no money. You know, right now they're getting zero dollars from me when if they had like a $10 a month option, I would probably pay for that. All right, let's talk about part two of that question, which was, are people willing to pay more for certain categories of content, particularly entertainment versus learning, which kind of beckons a secondary question, which is, do people put different content or media that they pay for in different mental buckets? And what I mean by that is, are people willing to spend more on, say, educational learning content than they are on entertainment content right for me personally i'm more willing to spend money on a subscription or whatever if i think it's going to provide me with like valuable information or some form of education it's it's useful right because i view it more as an investment in my knowledge and my expertise or whatever rather than an expense with entertainment i know that i'm just paying to be entertained and that's fine but obviously i'm not necessarily getting any uh, earning value out of that, if that makes sense. With when I pay for a educational type of subscription, it in theory increases my earning potential because now I'm smarter or whatever. I have more uh, knowledge in a certain space, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of other people do this too. I've heard plenty of people say like, "Oh, I never look at the price of books or whatever. I just buy books. I like I spend." Like, you know, like they don't think about money when they buy books because they think of it as like investment, that type of thing. So I don't think I'm the only one who thinks that way when it comes to willing to spend more on educational type content than entertainment content. And my guess is that, yeah, and again, that's all anecdotal, but my guess would be yes, on average, people will spend more on informative educational content than they will on content meant for education. Or, I'm sorry, for entertainment, but I, I can't know for sure. I think it makes sense, but then again, uh, it's hard to tell. It's very difficult to tell. That's something that I don't actually have the answer to, unfortunately. But I can say that probably yes, but I don't know for sure. That's the only one that I can't really answer today. And maybe I tried doing some research. I couldn't really see a clear answer, but maybe someone out there will figure it out. And so the final major question that every media company wants to know is, 
does ad-supported media still work? This brings me back to where I all started. YouTube going against the trend and opting to focus on increasing ad revenue rather than going after paid subscribers. This is because YouTube was not able to create what I called tremendously valuable content. In their case, they need to make very entertaining content and a lot of it if they want to compete with Netflix and Hulu and Disney's new subscription service that's coming next year. But here's the problem, right? Here's here's the major problem with YouTube Premium as someone who was actually a user for it, someone who pays for it. The majority of their premium content was focused around their platform stars. But YouTube stars are very good at making YouTube videos. They are not good at acting or writing original screenplays in most cases. I'm not going to say all of them are bad actors or bad screenwriters, whatever. But... When you just give a YouTuber a bunch of money and say, hey, write a script or, hey, we're just going to put this person who makes, you know, videos in their bedroom and all of a sudden they're going to be an actor in like a real full show. You know, a lot of them, I'm going to be honest, were really bad. Like I watched a couple of these shows and it's nothing against, you know, the YouTubers or anyone who is involved with it. It's just that's not what you're best at. You're best at making YouTube videos, not acting. Some can do both, but a lot of them were very bad. I'm going to be honest. And so that's why, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, a lot of the reviews on uh, these YouTube shows were that the acting was really bad and the screenplays were really boring. And so, you know, kind of reeling, realizing all this, YouTube has called it quits when it comes to trying to convert their YouTube stars into traditional TV show stars. And I think the YouTube celebrities, whatever you want to call them, should stick to YouTube. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean creating the content that you were great at creating, what got you there. You know, why try to go back to the traditional media of a TV show when the only reason you got on that TV show in the first place is because of the amazing work you've done on YouTube, if that makes sense. But anyways, back to YouTube. So they quit. They said, we're not going to be able to compete with YouTube and Disney coming with a paid subscription for our original content. They're going to go back to making money from ads, which is smart for them. YouTube's ad platform is connected directly to the godfather of advertising, Google. They have access to all the same data, all the same users, and most importantly, all the same ad buyers. Why would YouTube want to monetize through a subscription when they have access to the most powerful ad platform in the world right now? Every other media company that you see moving towards paid subscriptions does not have that advantage when it comes to selling ads that YouTube has. And as more media companies choose the subscription route, which means there's less opportunities for advertisers, more and more of those ad ad buyers are going to go to YouTube and Google. So YouTube's ad revenues will likely grow and they're going to be saving a lot of money because they're no longer spending on all of this original content. They don't have to try to outspend Netflix on creating great shows and movies. They can just have their users upload the content for them and act as the ad middleman. This is the right move for YouTube. But what if you don't have Google's wagon to hitch onto? Can you still succeed creating media that is supported only by ads? Maybe, but it will be difficult especially for the larger media companies. I think independent uh, creators, independent bloggers, smaller uh, teams, 
basically companies without a ton of infrastructure and a ton of overhead and HR departments and all of this stuff that comes with being a big media company I th- and fancy offices and all that, I think, yes, you can make it if you don't have all of those expenses. But if you're one of these traditional big media companies or even one of the new age ones, right? So a few examples would be BuzzFeed, Vox, and Vice. Okay, these are three media companies that are digital first media companies created in the digital age for digital. And they've all missed in the last year their revenue targets by 15 to 20%. And that's a big deal when you're one of these companies who's not profitable and living off of venture money. At the end of the day... You know, creating massive amounts of quality content is not that cheap. And video and banner ads don't bring in that many ad dollars. You know, a YouTube video that gets 1 million views for Vox or BuzzFeed might only bring in two to $3,000 in ad revenue. And lots of times those videos can cost tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, to make. So, yes, I think you can survive and thrive off of ads if, if you don't have this massive overhead. So if you're independent or a smaller team or whatever, and you can figure out a way to cut down costs a lot, then yes, you can make money and be perfectly sustainable from just ads. But I think the traditional media company that we kind of picture with the newsroom and all these journalists and that kind of thing, I think that's old news if you're going to be ad supported. No pun intended there. I didn't mean to do that. But uh I, I think that's the old way. I think the only ones that will be able to still pay for all of that is with paid subscriptions because it's just too difficult to make enough money from ad revenue to support all of that. And that kind of leads me to the final point. I didn't really talk about this too much, but you know the the problem with ad supported content, the one problem with it is that you know it does kind of make you go more towards the clickbait-y topics, if that makes sense. And a lot of times, you know, companies who only make money from ads have to go kind of lower quality, more quantity. I think BuzzFeed is a good example. I'll be honest, I don't really like BuzzFeed that much because most of their articles are kind of crap. They're very much clickbait. They're very much just basic stuff, quizzes, all that type of thing. It's not that good. And that's very much because they rely on bringing in millions and millions and millions of eyeballs and traffic because they need to they need to create content for the widest audience possible and the content itself needs to be cheap to make and guess what making up a dumb quiz to guess what type of elephant you are is pretty cheap compared to making some type of you know, hard-hitting journalism or great video content. It's much cheaper to just make a little quiz or a top 10 list, things like that. And so that's kind of the other problem with ad-supported content. This isn't always the case. There's plenty of examples of companies who don't fall into that trap, but it's just easy to if you're ad-supported. So anyways, I'm just, you know, looking forward to see how this all plays out. I'm sure like in any business transition, we will see some companies go under and fail. I'm sure we will see new companies pop up that can figure out a great revenue model. And I'm sure many will copy them once they do figure it out. But I think it's interesting. I think, um, I don't know. I think ad-supported content certainly has a place. I just think that a lot of companies are realizing that they're going to have to charge and that most of the ad dollars are going to continue to flow towards the 
main center points being Facebook and Google and the major uh, ad platforms. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Very curious. If you guys have any thoughts, let me know. I'd love to hear what uh, anyone has to say. Or if you disagree with me, let me know. Anyways, let's get into the news. It's time for the news. The biggest story I wanted to comment on this week, besides obviously the YouTube one, is the Supreme Court case against Apple. To explain what's going on, in simple terms, um, the Supreme Court needs to decide whether or not the App Store is a monopoly and if consumers have the right or should be able to sue them for it, rather than just developers traditionally being the ones who would sue them for a monopoly. Alright, now that's the news. Time for my opinion. The answer is no to both. The verdict is very likely going to be no to both. And here's why. Apple does not have a monopoly. They just have a fantastic product or line of products that have had a massive amount of customers choose to use. Right? I have an iPhone. I have many options when buying a phone. Nothing is stopping me from buying a Google Pixel or a Samsung Galaxy or any other phone. I've owned a Samsung Galaxy before, but now I choose to go with an iPhone. And in choosing the iPhone, I'm completely aware that the App Store is controlled by Apple. I can still download apps without the App Store. You can still download apps through Safari. It's just that you don't get the security guarantee that in kind of the Apple seal of approval when downloading the app. So you can still do it. It just isn't necessarily Apple approved, but there's nothing stopping you. And the other aspect of this case that doesn't hold up is price fixing. Apple doesn't fix the price on any apps because developers are free to choose whatever price they want to charge for their apps or give them away for free. The reason this case, and again, they're, they're, this isn't going to, you know, Apple's going to win. But the reason this is a big deal is because if by some miracle Apple loses this case, it would open the floodgates for consumers and class action lawsuits against any company that runs like an online marketplace. So that includes Amazon, eBay, even like Uber and Airbnb. If there's any type of transaction between two parties, whether it be a buyer and a seller or a driver and a rider type of thing, then consumers will be able to go after you for this too. And again, this case is going to lose. It really shouldn't have made its way all the way to the Supreme Court in the first place. But don't cons don't confuse this as some, you know, anti-consumer thing. It's just that, you know, Apple made a great product and people choose to buy it. And now because they're profiting from it, they should be able to be sued for it because they take a 30% transaction fee on downloading applications on their platform, on their software, on their hardware. That doesn't really make sense to me. And again, the price fixing completely doesn't make sense at all because, again, developers are free to choose their prices. So how you could implicate Apple on price fixing doesn't make any sense. Again, I'm not worried about them losing, but I just, I don't know why this, this case made it all the way to the Supreme Court. It's, it's kind of, it's just a, a step way, way too far in trying to regulate big companies. All right, anyways, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have not left us a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen, we would greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you think you know someone who would also enjoy this podcast, feel free to share it with whoever you would like. Maybe just one person. Just one. That's all we're asking. Anyways, thanks for listening, guys. I will see you next time.